What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with an episode where I'm going to dig into what I believe to be the 12 best free agents left on the NBA's board and then go through some potential fits for them. Hopefully we'll be quick, but it's me and I have about 800, 850 words worth of notes and destinations and, and just not scouting reports, but notes on players and what I thought about their season. Uh, before we get started, uh, please remember to rate, review, subscribe to us wherever you're getting this podcast. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button. It would mean an awful lot if you help us continue to build up that channel. If you've done all those things, uh, please, word of mouth, retweet the promos on Twitter. Tell friends, family members, random people on the internet who you realize like basketball about this podcast and how thermonuclear AF it actually is, just like all of us who are listening to it. Uh, join our Discord as well. The links to that are in the YouTube and podcast descriptions. Follow us on all the socials, which are in the YouTube and podcast descriptions as well. And before we cannonball into this, as I try to expedite it, a few notes that I missed uh, the most important of which, when I did the two episodes I've recorded this week, rest in peace to Bill Russell. Uh, I went down a Bill Russell highlight rabbit hole when I saw the news. I, I think that was on Sunday. Man, he was a spectacular player, even more so just uh, sort of this hallmark person off the court and everything he did during that time and said the courage, the gall that it took to stand out in that way. And, you know, him and, and guys like Kareem as well, too. Um, I just can't imagine how hard that was while also balancing maybe some hostility from the fans who didn't value off the court, but then just also doing all those things on the court, uh, the most winning player ever in professional sports, certainly team sports. And when you go back and watch him, I do think we tend to forget about it's hard. I would say that it's hard to judge from era to, to era, uh, especially when you're decades removed from each. And, you know, Bill Russell was like how many different eras of basketball again uh, ago, excuse me. But like you watch him grab rebounds, run the floor with the ball in his hands like that dude could play on offense. In addition to like he was moving all over the place on defense. Seriously, just go back, watch some Bill Russell highlights. If you haven't, they are a joy to watch. Uh, rest in peace to him. And I do recommend uh, a couple pieces that I read on it. Jamel Hill did something for the Atlantic that I thought was really good. And then Vince Ellis of Yahoo Sports. I think that was where, yeah, that was where he wrote it. Um, that article was also very enlightening. And it, they touched on like the off-court stuff. And I think Ellis specifically mentioned how he might just be like the most important person um, in professional sports history when you remove like the actual sports from the equation. He's certainly up there. So that, it, it sucks. Rest in peace to him. I feel bad that I didn't mention it. I get, you know, when I'm by myself putting all these notes, I get to all business sometimes. I need to like step back and be like, oh, okay, like th this shit actually matters. Um, also on a much lighter note, uh, yes, when we did the last podcast, I totally forgot to include Jalen Noel in my Timberwolves rotation. Uh, I had him, I did not have him, excuse me, in there. I got called out on Twitter and in DMs. That's fine. Come talk to me when I make that mistake. Uh, I did not see that Chris Finch basically guaranteed him a, a ton of, of minutes leading into next season. I still personally, I know that Jordan McLaughlin is smaller, but I appreciate his defense and creativity a little bit more. Um, but maybe this is just McLaughlin still plays because the Wolves need secondary playmaking and Rivers is the odd man out more so than Noel, but just wanted to give the, the mea culpa there. I've now also had at least a half dozen complaints over the past month that I need to say New Orleans instead of New Orleans. I'll try and remember, might just refer to them as the Pelicans because I know that I'll, I'll forget if I have to think about it in real time. So trust me, I hear everybody. Uh, I'm listening to you, YouTube commenters as well. They said something about uh, not having Jalen Noel in the Timberwolves 10-man spot. That was a brain fart by me. 
it happens. I probably did beat myself up uh, about it too much, but I have learned to at least just, it's easier when you get a little bit older for me, at least to admit when I'm wrong and be like, Oh, all right. Like, yeah, you fucked up there. Uh, but I really did not see Chris Finch basically guarantee Jalen Noel minutes. Uh, and yes, New Orleans. I'll try and say that. I always did think, and I've had this discussion now with multiple people, that it was almost insulting if you weren't a New, or New Orleans native to say it. So you should say New Orleans. I'll try to keep that in mind. There was also a Trey Murphy, the third complaint. I was just, I know that Trey was a nickname, but he's listed as Trey Murphy, the third on all the sports sites. Someone called me out on that on Twitter as well. I'll take that into account. Uh, maybe we could just call him T Murph. Um, or Trip Dub, T Dub, whatever his actual nickname or new NBA nickname is. Now I think we're free to get into the uh, the free agent elements of all this. Uh, you might have some different views. I tried to steer clear of just name recognition, although I think some guys certainly why we went twelve deep is out of respect for the not out of respect for the name, but just because they are a big name. But like I'm not going into Paul Millsap. Uh, I'm not going into Miles Bridges at all because he was um, arrested. Um, on a felony domestic violence charge. I think it was June 29th. I don't fucking care what's happening with him on the court. I just wish uh, his girlfriend and his son well, and we have to wait for the news on that and seeing what's what's happening. And I also did not include Andre Godala because he's just very clearly, I'm going back to the Warriors or retiring. There's also someone on here that I don't believe should be a free agent, and I'm convinced that he's not, that I saw that he wasn't anymore, that I'm going to go through all this and be wrong and then catch shit for it. I'm hoping that I'm right. I asked people for confirmation, uh, but I'm still just convinced that I'm wrong. And by, by people, I don't mean like I contacted like a league source who would have intimate knowledge. I just smart people I trust in the business who confirmed. Yes. Um, let's start with Carmelo Anthony. I'm going in alphabetical order here. These are not in rankings. I'm not, I rank enough shit. I don't need to rank this. Uh, Melo can still play. He just hit 37 plus percent of his threes on almost six attempts per game. He has aged more gracefully than a Russell Westbrook moving into that role player niche and it didn't happen overnight there was some pushback in okc and even in houston a little bit but to his credit like he has did what was asked of him he goes to portland good team guy can score can still shoot you need to have um i guess either the bandwidth to withstand some mellow going mellow where he's going to want to jab step or post up or take just bad off the dribble jumpers at the same time like he is emerged as this legitimate catch and shoot weapon and so if you have the defensive infrastructure around you or just need shooting he should certainly be on your list uh, I think the Lakers should still look at bringing him back. I don't think they have enough shooting on the roster just yet, or even enough quote unquote wings. Mel's not a wing anymore. You should probably play him at the four. I have Miami there. Like they certainly have the defensive in infrastructure for him and could use him maybe in that PJ Tucker role. And it also kind of preserves your bench or maybe you bring him off the bench a little bit. If you think he helps your half core creativity in any way, Miami ended up having one of the best benches last year. Uh, and now because PJ Tucker's not there, you're going to have to move, like promote somebody is I think a lot of people assume it's like a, a Max Struess. I've seen some people float, like, uh, could we see your seven and bam at a bio start together? That would be absolutely wild. So I think that would be a good fit. I also have like, uh, I have as a joke, Philly would be funny if he didn't hate Maury. Like I don't hate that fit. Uh, I would love to see him on the Raptors. He goes against really everything they stand for, but like just have someone who can shoot, maybe give you some half court creation. They do need another guy of that ilk. Those were just two I wrote off. And then I even have golden state where it's like, he can't play the Otto Porter role on defense, but can he give you that role on offense? Uh, and you know, you are banking on Kaminga and Moody and even Wiseman to step up. You signed Dante DiVincenzo, but if Iguodala is not coming back, could there be room for him there? I know mellow to golden state was like popular in the ether. The two that I actually like that I don't think would happen, but Memphis, um, I think you just need to look at like 
the and we'll get into this with some other guys like the Jaron Jackson or I think one other guy that I have listed for them. Jaron Jackson Jr. is supposed to be out four to six months. The end of that timeline puts him back sometime December, January, maybe after that stress fracture. Uh, and you know you got rid of or you let Kyle Anderson walk, and so now you're putting I know David Roddy six six plays forward, but you're putting an awful lot of pressure on him. Xavier Tillman Sr., Brandon Clark, even um, Zaire Williams as well. And it's just like, does that work? And part of the appeal with Triple J is you could play him at center. You're not doing that behind Steven Adams with, you know, if they do that with Roddy, you know, (laughs) kudos to them for going super small there. Like, yeah, you can try that with Tillman and Brandon Clark. Um, It just feels like they could use some more reinforcements. And I want to do a deeper dive into the Grizzlies offseason before we even get to report cards i just don't think i have the courage to do it after missing on them for for three years running i have a feeling i'm overthinking it but just to have mellow um if he was willing to again play the same role that he was get as a floor spacer as a knockdown shooter um to help you sort of at the four specifically bridge the gap until triple j is back or you know what you have in some of the youngsters uh, and then also just you know john Morant gets injured a lot and now you lost kyle anderson i'm not saying Melo's going to carry you during those nights you want a healthy triple j and desmond bain and even zaire williams at that point tyus jones to do the same just feels like they could use someone like him and then i also just have milwaukee i was talking to the uh euro steps ty windish on the side about how i still think they really need to fill the the fifth spot in a Giannis as the lone big lineup and it does feel and he noted this to me like based off what they paid bobby portis they're going to get away from that entirely with a healthy Brooke Lopez, I still think that's going to be their best weapon um, in close or their most dangerous weapon to me offensively and closing units to playoffs, however you want to slice it. I wouldn't mind seeing Mello there to sort of round out. Okay. You have drew Middleton and Giannis and then there's Mello, And then you, you know, futz around with Connaughton or Wes Matthews, depending on the matchup. Maybe Mello's not even a member of all those lineups, but just some bench juice for Mello is more of a, like a combo forward than a wing at this point. But like the bench is kind of, low on combo forwards and wings at this point, especially until Joe Ingles returns from his ACL injury. Eric Bledsoe, uh, you know, last year he, he wasn't great and he has not been great for a while. 0.64 points per possession as the pick and roll initiator. Uh, if you expect him to be sort of a floor general or give you consistent offense, like that is a recipe for uh, disappointment. If not, if not disaster, I will say he still hit 51.5% of his looks on drives and he had a 10, plus percent assist rate on that. And when you look at players who used uh, or finished more than 400 drives last year, shot at least 51% or better on them while having an assist rate above 10, there's only, it's, it's fewer than, it's fewer than 10 players. It's I'm counting right now. It's, it's, it's seven. Eric Bledsoe, Steph Curry, Brandon Ingram, Malcolm Brogdon, Chris Paul, Drew Holiday, and Luka Doncic. Some of this is cherry picked. The list expands. If you just go a flat 50%, but like it's still talking about like fewer than a dozen players. So if you can have spacing around him, I think he'll still give you some rim pressure and some finishing. He also shot 38.6% on catch and shoot threes last year. Not super high volume under three attempts per game, but it was more than 2.5 attempts per game, I believe, unless I'm completely misremembering off what I looked at. So a team like Brooklyn, they just need defense in general and they're trying to win. Who knows what happens with Kyrie? Uh, is Patty Mills like he kind of faded towards the end of last season? Just as insurance there, and I just think they need, especially with Bruce Brown out, you don't trust Bledsoe to guard bigs, but like just give you someone that's going to be strong defensively. I have Charlotte listed as well. Uh, they have Terry Rozier, they have Lamelo Ball, but like their you know backup 
point guard rotation, like that's that's kind of it. Like Terry Rozier should be your second best point guard on the roster. And if you actually go look at their depth chart on, um, I tend to use if I'm trying to get a feel, uh, Roto Worlds or NBC Sports Edges, whatever it's called now. They don't even have a backup point guard listed behind the ball right now. So like maybe you think it's like a Bryce McGowan's or uh, Book Knight can hold that row, and then Terry Rozier can do it. But like just give. Steve Clifford, someone who will defend, and you do have lineups if you're going to put P.J. Washington at the five at all, uh, where you can surround Bledsoe with shooting. And so I don't think that would be a bad flyer, depending on what he costs. I have maybe Philly. They do have Melton, and they have Harden and Tyrese Maxey, but if you're not going to play Shake Milton, or if you're trying to get away from Matisse Thibel or even Furkan Korkmaz minutes, depending on how they're playing, just having someone who could defend his butt off, and then either you're using him next to Maxey or next to Harden in bench-heavy units, I don't think that's necessarily unsustainable and as a, um, you know, like a, a minimum salary. And by the way, I, I did not take into account roster spots at this point. I'm just assuming every team and I did look into it. I didn't name a team that doesn't have options by virtue of like being able to get rid of players that maybe shouldn't necessarily be on the roster. So I did try to take into account roster spots somewhere, but this is just we're far away enough from opening night that I did not consider that should have mentioned it at the top. But oh, fucking well, uh. And that was, that's like pretty much it for Bledsoe. I did have, I don't even want to, I have Toronto, but like there's not enough creation there or shooting for him to be maximized on offense. Although he would sort of fit their mold on defense. And it's just like, they don't have, unless they all of a sudden have this faith in Malachi Flynn, they don't have a clear backup point guard behind Fred Van Fleet. You're probably just banking on having Barnes and Siakam, even Gary Trent Jr. as uh, like playmakers who can work with the ball in their hands you're going to go that route. Uh, even OG Ananobi a little bit, there's more self-creation to his game than people credit. If they were just looking to have like someone who can chaperone some sets, if you have enough shooting on the floor, you're not expecting to score efficiently out of the pick and roll, but maybe just drive and kick, uh, get defenses in rotation a little bit. That's an option that, that they could look at. DeMarcus Cousins is on this list. I was a little bit surprised that, though I, I, some people have talked about, maybe he you know, wore out his welcome in Denver. I thought he was good enough uh, and... <laughs> much better than DeAndre Jordan, an option for them. Um, but again, maybe that just the dynamics all of a sudden didn't work out between he and Michael Malone anymore. Last year, though, he, and this fell off a cliff with the Nuggets, but he was at 1.22 points per possession out of the pick and roll with with the Bucs. Uh, so while he did get worse in Denver, like the pick and pop aspect of his game, and he can even get you like some um, downhill juice if he's catching it on the run and like the one, two dribble decision making. He also shot in Denver 20 of 28 on post-up possession, 71.4%. I don't think you should be building up like building your offense or any set around cousins in the post, but it is a, it can still be a quality bailout option. He does need to be one comfortable in a more complimentary role. When we talk about like a Dwight Howard, who seems very much okay with not playing anymore, like when he's on an actual roster um, cousins doesn't seem there just yet. And he has to bring up the catch and shoot percentage. He was below 30% on his catch and shoot threes and his three point shot really since his injury is not really uh recaptured any any of the form uh, i have the clippers for him i don't know if that's something that like again the the personality fit or his role like if you're talking about not playing we went through the clippers rotation in the last pod there's like 12 or 13 dudes under guaranteed contract that should should play um but if avisa zubats gets injured or if you just want a truer backup five that's not uh you know robert covington at this point and like, cousins could just be a cheapo option there maybe that's a decision you make Midseason, I have the Blazers listed too. Uh, maybe too similar to like maybe you want more of a a lob catcher behind Yusuf Nurkic. But right now, like their bigs are uh, Drew Eubanks projects as like their primary 
backup big. And so I actually really like Drew Eubanks, but if you're looking for another type of option there, again, how does he handle maybe not playing consistently? I'll trust a locker room with Damian Lillard, though. And he seemed, look, to Cousins' credit, they didn't bring him back, but he seemed to be fine in Milwaukee with Giannis. And so, like, give me the... And even in Denver, I thought everything was hunky-dory. Like, give me the either the the leaders that set by example, like in Nikola Jokic, or just, like, someone you would follow to hell and back in Giannis and, and Dame and try to, try to make it work. This is the one I was convinced. I didn't think he was uh, a restricted free agent coming off a two-way. I could have sworn that after Summer League. Uh, he earned one. I am apparently wrong, but David Duke Jr. And I have like 80 teams. There are two free agents on here that I have listed a whole bunch of destinations. David Duke Jr. is one of them. Go back to Brooklyn, certainly a quality fit, but his summer league performance for me, going back and watching a lot of that stuff, yes, the three-point shot is still a question. He did hit this like sidestep three against Boston. That was like, oh, it's kind of slow motion, but he still hit it. And he did shoot 40.3% from deep over his final two years at Providence, 231 total attempts. Make of that what you will at summer league though, 55 plus percent on twos average over four assists. When you're looking at the actual playmaking, I think his handles like a little bit wide to work for higher uses at the NBA level, but he was super quick going downhill seemed very comfortable using his left hand attacking going left uh, through some nice entry passes and, and look ahead passes as well. Seemed comfortable making decisions in transition. We all know he had that monster finish over uh, Fiondu Cabin Gelly uh, at Summer League. And Cabin Gelly did sign, by the way. He got, uh, I think he got a standard contract, or he at least earned a contract coming out of Summer League. Duke, uh, I read up Brian Lewis in the New York Post wrote that he's rolling the dice on himself after that. I think it's smart. I'm actually surprised that some team hasn't come, come in here and tried to do something there. Uh, he looks stronger too. Duke, when he goes downhill, um, that he had some really tough finishes in summer league and he can hold up like sturdy. When you're looking at his body type, there are a bunch of different matchups. You could play with him defensively. I don't know if the nets would view him. He's definitely not on par defensively with the Bruce Brown role, but like on offense specifically, could he play the Bruce Brown role where you're sometimes you're seeing him even set screens, hang out in the dunker spot, or you're really just getting him slicing down the middle or trying to set up, set up others. Um, Teams that I have, I have Indian San Antonio here just because it's like, hey, take the Flyers. You're the teams with cap space. What does it cost to, to bring him in? And someone who scales to a, a bunch of different perimeter positions on offense or defense. I have Miami too. Uh, they have not. I don't think like, you know, when you look at them, this is a team that seems very concerned about uh, uh, their their tax bill. They're within $2 million of the tax right now, I believe. And so are they going to go into the tax? Because they do still have their mid-level exception. Are they going to go into the tax for David Duke Jr.? No, but that would be, I have them listed as an interesting fit. Uh, I have Milwaukee as well. I don't know. You probably want more shooting out of if you're going to go with this perimeter spot, uh, but just having another body sort of move around. I Again, the shooting would come in question here, but if you give Orlando, Paolo Bancaro, and then just like a shit ton of really good, like um, either decision makers around him or guys that could be moved around defensively, uh, that would be intriguing to watch for me. Uh, I also have Sacramento listed. Just anyone who scales as like a, you know, if you consider, if you're one of those that consider uh, David Duke Jr. like more of a, a pure guard, I totally get it. He's 6'4". And if he has like more of a wing body type to me, not in the, not as built in the same vein as Lou Dort, but like that's how I would consider him. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing him in, in Sacramento, either of them taking a flyer on him. Uh, Portland, for sure, just um, other types of strong bodies there. I have Utah as well, since they're in a rebuild. Um, and I thought about Washington too. I don't know. Again, the shooting would be a concern for me. How does he fit in the rotation? 
uh, when you have DeLon Wright, Monte Morris, and Will Barton there, Kyle Kuzma as well, Denny Avdia. But just like, let's get deeper and let's get guys who look like they could play physical defense just based off what I saw in Summer League. So uh, those were the teams, I, like I said, I had a shit ton for him. I have the most for someone we'll get to later. I have Blake Griffin on this list. Uh, if we were starting to make tough cuts, I don't know if he'd be here, but he shot 30. He looked cooked athletically, but he shot 39.1% from three after February 1st. Uh, you should probably give anyone who was on the Nets just a pass last year, um, given that every all that was happening. He can probably give you just some quality spacing as, as a pure five, maybe some just like non-explosive rebounding as well. And the passing acumen from a standstill is still uh, really there. Um, I don't, it does take like sort of a specific team. I think you need to have other good defenders around him and you really need to have a need for like, Oh, can we space the floor? Are we trying to unlock a specific lineup type? That's why I do have Milwaukee listed where it's like, if you're looking for just something different from the, what if you're worried about Brooke Lopez's back, Serge Ibaka isn't cutting it. Do you go with like Blake Griffin, Giannis in the front court? They're not my favorite destination, but they were listed. I did. This is a joke because when you talk about roster spots, they're not gonna be able to get to it. But OKC has become like this fountain of youth in recent years. So can he go and get a little bit of like the Chris Paul, Al Horford juice going over there? It didn't necessarily work for Derek Favors, but Mike Muscala has been chugging along in OKC before he had surgery this, this off season. Uh, as also kind of a joke, I had Phoenix just, I don't see him reuniting with Paul, but if they were looking for another floor spacer to, um, who could potentially log minutes at the five, that's Dario Saric and they have DeAndre and of course, Bismarck Biombo. but I had them just thought it'd be a funny, funny joke. Uh, I have Portland. If they want to go all offense as the backup five, uh, Miami as well. I think you could play him with Bam Adebayo, uh, if you wanted to. And so does he slide in? Are you starting him just to preserve the integrity of your bench? Um, but just someone who could hit threes. I don't know that you want to go to him in the post or trust him to create all that much. I thought about Boston too, because it does feel like they need another big. And like, yeah, they just signed Bruno Caboclo, Noah Vonley. So it seems like they are going that route. But as of right now, like there are three bigs and they play two of them at once for the most part. Uh, Al Horford and Grant Williams. I think they were the team that gave Cabin, Cabin Gelly the contract too. So you have Horford, Williams, and the Williamses. After that, it's still sort of wide open. Just food for thought there. I believe that was the last team. I, oh, no, this is the last team I have for Griffin, and it's Memphis. And it was the – I was using the Triple J as just the justification. Uh, if he's coming back in, like, December or January and after they lost Anderson, um, do you just want someone who can hit threes in your front court? That's not Clark or Tillman. Um, it's not Steven Adams at this point. And if you have the rest of your crew available looking at Dylan Brooks and – Desmond Bain, even even Zaire uh, Williams and, and Tyus Jones and John Morant. Uh, Morant doesn't fall into this umbrella so much. Maybe you're just comfortable enough defensively to try it. I don't know how it, this is the mellow situation. How does he feel about his role there? He's not, once Triple J is back, like you're going to see those minutes just sort of disappear. And Memphis seems very invested in going the developmental route. But sort of looking at their frontline rotation, after Steven Adams was kind of played off the floor in the Minnesota series, played a bunch more against Golden State, to his credit, I would have liked to have seen them diversify their um, front court lineup a little bit more. And yeah, uh, David Roddy does do that to some extent. But again, you're shouldering, you're putting a lot on his shoulders for a rookie that you took 23rd overall. And I wasn't even like necessarily the biggest fan of that trade, but you're talking about, you know, 43.8% of his threes at Colorado State last year, 62% of his twos. Uh, I just, 
you know, that was the first year, by the way, that he shot better than he was at 19.5% from three as a, uh, in his first year, Colorado state 27.8 second year. And then all of a sudden skyrockets to 43.8 while shooting below 70% at the foul line. There could just be iffiness there. I'm not saying sign Blake Griffin is like this mission critical component, but relative to what we know about Jaron Jackson Jr. to this point, it feels like it could be, I don't even want to call it like necessary insurance, but just potential insurance if you're thinking along these lines. The next free agent, I think you can make the case objectively he might be the most productive of the bunch. Uh, well, no, second most productive of the bunch. Also the hardest to place for me, uh, Montrez Harrell. Uh, he looked like he was in early contention for six men of the year, then finishes the season in Charlotte, just sort of going out with a whimper. Um, he did average 1.26 points per possession as the role man and 1.48 points in, tra in transition. That was the 95th percentile of efficiency. That's someone who could help if you want to you know, get up and run the pace or just rampage towards the basket. Uh, not going to help out. You're rebounding a ton. That's a problem because I think he's probably best suited at the five. He could give you some like downhill directionality where it's not like he's necessarily putting the ball on the floor, but we have seen him make like two and three gribble decisions and work out of the post some. Not something you want to make a primary component of your offense, but just options there. And if you have enough defensive talent around him or you just don't care and you're looking to get off to the races, uh, he's still someone that can put up numbers. Uh, I think Portland, depending on what they want to do with their backup five spot, if you're playing him with Jeremy Grant and Josh Hart at the same time, maybe even GP2, like, do you trust, what do you, how do you feel about the shooting of that lineup? Or do you trust that being good enough defensively? Should Simons or Dame be the other player that's involved there? Uh, and then I also just have Miami. I don't love the fit. I don't want to see him play next to Bam Adebayo. But if they're not, like, could you play him next to Dwayne Dedman or even Yurt Seven, who, like, chucked up threes? And maybe you do play him next to Adebayo anyway. We're still, like, Bam has the mid-range game, is able to put the ball on the floor and go north-south, work from the outside in. Could that potentially work? This is just, like, if it's super cheap, and you can plug a player who's potentially productive. You know your Miami dealt with injuries this past season anyway. Do you try it out? Those are the only two teams that I felt strongly enough to list for him. And I don't know that there's like, I thought about Phoenix for a minute who could use like the rim pressure and, and even someone who's just going to go, you know, all out in transition. Don't, don't love it though. Like I would just rather see more minutes with, with Sarich. And then you have Aiton taking up a line share of them anyway, plus Bismarck, Biombo. I know Harold's been linked to Toronto in the past. That's just not, if they're going to go after a big, it should be someone who rebounds better, uh, preferably spaces the floor, but certainly rebounds, rebounds better. And that's like sort of it. You know, if Utah's rebuilding and they just want like sort of a heart and soul of someone to go towards the basket and they don't want to only have Walker Kessler and uh, Vando, but I, I, that's not even something I could endorse. endorse. Don't really like him in Boston. It, it doesn't really make sense for him to go back to Charlotte when they have Mason Plumley, Kai Jones, and Mark Williams. If you were going to trade one of those guys, maybe. And if anyone's going to coax defense out of him, like sort of just this base decision-making and drop coverage as a rim protector, is it Steve Clifford? Like, yeah, sure. Why not? Could you try going that route if you're Chicago as like your third big now that you have Drummond and Vooch? But like, that is such a weird big man rotation with Drummond, Vooch, and Harold. These very recognizable household names that are all sort of underwhelming at the moment. And so like, you really start to run out of options here rather quickly. I don't. I did briefly think about a reunion with the Clippers, but he didn't seem to enjoy like the Kawhi, Paul George era Clippers. And yeah, if they want another big um, like Zubots and Harold being their primary fives. I mean, sure. Uh, I just can't see that necessarily happen. And like, you just start to run out of options pretty quickly there. So 
still like a useful player. It takes a very specific situation. I'm very curious to see where he ends up. But like I said, Portland and Miami were the two that stood out to me. Uh, I have Dwight Howard on this list too. His rim protection slipped quite a bit last year with the Lakers. To his credit, opponents did shoot only 54.5% at the rim uh, against him. Uh, I can't even remember what the date was filtered, but like, yes, his, his rim protection, like certainly slipped last season. I think that that's absolutely needs to be um, factor into the decision-making here. If you're, if you're a team or as I'm, you know, going to go through what I think are the best fits, he still does provide you though, with like a motive, it's more than a modicum of, of presence on the glass. He was efficient enough out of the, uh, as the, the role man finisher last year. And like, it's not the, the end when you look at so like go back just a season in 2020 2021 when he emerges like this valuable backup for philly opponent shot under 57 percent against him at the rim and so the fact that he allowed opponent shoot 62.7 percent against him at the rim last year yeah that's not that's obviously not great i still think if you're relying on him for sort of lower level minutes maybe you're just using him to get through the regular season not anticipating him uh, in the playoffs or you want the rim running element part of your offense and the other bigs on your roster don't give you that for whatever reason uh, why or other backup bigs, I should say. Um, I think that it's a reasonably, he's reasonably worth a flyer. And I do believe that like, it helps. This is not, you know, you know, Ennis fucking canner thinking that he can still play when he's terrible and saying it's unfair that I'm not in the league or whatever. Uh, Dwight also like canner mentioned that he could see himself going to the WWE uh, at the same time. He seems okay with like being someone who's on the roster, not playing all the time. We've seen it the past few years. I have Portland, for him, again, if you just want a veteran presence as your as your backup, and it's sort of just a, a change of pace big relative to what you're getting in, in your primary minutes from Nurkic. I have the Clippers as well, the other LA team, just behind Zubats. Again, maybe Dwight Howard's not playing all the time. I don't think that's really a problem. Uh, and he gives you probably more of a, like there's like a similar element to, to Zubats there, who's just very clearly better, um, but there's like a different build to Howard, obviously, especially when you're looking at on the offensive glass, which maybe you just don't uh, think that you need that type of presence there. And then finally, I have it as Boston, where it's just, yes, they they have all these flyers on other bigs. But if you're going to play Horford and RW3 together a ton to get the, you know, the rim running and rebounding element from Howard, again, I, how many times am I going to say again during this segment? I don't think he was good last year. I don't think he's necessarily cooked. And I just, if I'm Denver, I would have preferred going the Dwight Howard route than the DeAndre Jordan route. Uh, food for thought there. Jeremy Lamb is next up. Uh, he did not have a good season. He's kind of fallen off the radar ever since his ACL injury. Uh, but there were like some flickers with the Kings. Uh, I went back and watched because I was surprised the numbers were this high. And like it was slower paced stuff, like moving at the speed of Kyle Anderson almost. He averaged 1.17 points per possession out of the pick and roll as the ball handler shot 52.8%, 19 of 36. So a rather small sample size, but it was there. And while his mid-range shooting dropped and he's never been like this, I'm going to shoot 80% from mid-range, he can mosey and get to his spot still with the ball in his hands. Doesn't provide any rim pressure or free throw opportunities. If you want him to be like a wing defender, he's going to get cooked. He can probably stay stationary uh, and contest kickouts from stand, uh, two standstill shooters and get his hands up when they're actually taking their looks off the catch. Beyond that, you're asking for trouble. So there needs to be the right infrastructure there. He did shoot. His three-point shooting's always been like, why isn't it higher for most of his career? He shot 35.4% on catch-and-shoot threes uh, with the Pacers. That dropped to 26.7% with the 
the Kings. I think a lot of it's going to have to do with shot quality. And then like, what's the surrounding floor geography look like? Uh, so I have listed, this was another one I did struggle for, but like Dallas's spacing is pristine. He doesn't replace the rim pressure you lost in Jalen Brunson. You're going to hope uh, Spencer Dinwiddie does that, but I actually like him more on ball than I would a Tim Hardaway Jr. This is not to say you should play lamb over Tim Hardaway Jr. But if you're just looking for a cheap, another person who could put the ball in their hands, you probably trust him to run a pick and roll more than uh, Frank Nielakina. Just kidding. Frank Nielakina is a God and he should be starting over Luka Doncic or alongside him, whichever the Mavericks prefer. But like I might trust Jeremy lamb and not, and not might, I'm going to trust Jeremy lamb after Spencer Dinwiddie and Luka Doncic. Who am I trusting to run pick and rolls more for this team? Is it? Yeah. Frank, Nielakina. we all know how I feel about Frank Nielakina, but like someone who's actually going to look for his shot. I'm going to trust probably Jeremy Lamb over Tim Hardaway Jr. there. Maybe you're uh, a Jaden Hardy guy here. Um, I would I would not be, at least not in season number one. Uh, and I didn't uh, need to watch. I need to go back and probably watch more of him in summer league. But from what I seem, I wasn't like blown away, at least not as blown away as Mavericks fans seems to be. You're giving up a defensive element here, but I'm looking at the catch and uh, shoot percentage he had in Indy. You're all of a sudden getting the wide open looks Luka Doncic is going to create. Um, you can probably pump fake your way off the three-point line, and there are still defenders that bite on his three-point shot off the catch. Even just like his slow dribble pull-ups, um, he's going to get into the lane, maybe put up a floater or a mid-range J. I just think it could work. And you need, I don't think you need offense on this team um, because you have Christian Wood and Doncic, but you do and Dinwiddie. You do need guys, I think, that could serve as an on-ball outlet while also being able to work off it. Uh, and he does that. So it's not it's not a substitute for Jalen Brunson. He doesn't really replace anything that Jalen Brunson does. Let's just be honest. But I thought that the off-ball shooting in Indiana coupled with sort of the... And he's shown this in the past when you look at other PNR scoring numbers. Like, there's just something there. I wouldn't even call it secondary, but just as like a step below that tertiary. Why not give it a shot? And also, Tim Hardaway Jr. is working his way back from pretty serious injury. Spencer Dinwiddie has injuries in his past. And this team is ripe for a trade when you look at some of the salaries and just the fact that they are slated to regress from last season by losing Brunson. It feels like they could make a midseason move. Dennis Schroeder is next up. I also have the Mavs listed for him. Spoiler alert. Uh, his season was a seesaw. His entire just <laughs> basketball career has gone essentially off the rails since he arrived with Los Angeles. Turns on that huge extension. Ends up signing for the mini MLE with Boston. Gets flipped to Houston. Closes the season there, shooting 37.2% on drives. I don't think the spacing or the requisite threat level of the players around him were good enough to uh, help him capitalize on like that speed when he's going downhill. He shot 51.5% on drives with the Celtics. Needs to bring up the catch-and-shoot three-point percentage. I feel like that's sort of a broken record. 33.8% on spot-up threes with the Rockets, 33.8% uh, with the Celtics, 35.1% with the Rockets. His finishing at the rim, It's I don't want to say it's always been topsy-turvy. It fell off a cliff last year, but it's always kind of hovered around like average to like between just below average to average to slightly above average, like never having these like super ridiculous peaks for more than a season. Uh, but like, if you want someone with just to give you downhill pressure who you can trust to manage some of like the second unit minutes, if you surround him with enough shooting or just have a void at like the point guard spot where it's no, we don't want an off guard or a secondary guard. We want someone we could put the ball in their hands. I have the Mavs listed here for him. I think the Lakers could use him. He becomes the, aside from LeBron James, the best point guard on their roster at this point. It's like, it's a better fit than Russell Westbrook. I don't know what you want me to say right now. He's definitely going to give you more uh, defensive oomph than a Russell Westbrook at, at this point. Uh, I have Phoenix 
as well because I do think they need sort of this third creator. I don't love the fit. Would you prefer Cameron Payne to Dennis Schroeder? I think you would. You might even prefer Landry Shamit at this point. But just the he's an above average rim pressure guy for his position, and I do think that the the Suns don't really have that when you look at Payne, Paul, or um, Devin Booker. And Devin Booker doesn't really factor in. Like, although I would like to see more Devin Booker at point guard lineups this season, just throwing it out there, Monty Williams, uh, just in case you're listening, which I, I know you obviously are. So don't, I don't love that fit. I also don't, I have Orlando listed just because uh, if you're looking for an alternative to Markel Fultz, someone who is, look, Markel Fultz can finish around the basket. I, like Dennis Schroeder gives you more like abruptness getting towards the basket. And it's even more of like, it's not, he's not going to bail out like a Cole Anthony as much before the basket. Um, more proven than RJ Hampton, of course. Maybe you're just trusting Jalen Suggs to make that leap and you have Paolo Bancaro. If you just want to have, I wouldn't even call him like a veteran influence, but if, if you want a different element of offense at that point guard spot without necessarily skewing too far to the off guard or combo guard role, um, Schroeder could be interesting there. I don't, I don't love to be clear the fit with Phoenix or Orlando. Uh, I like it much better with the the Lakers or or Dallas. But we're talking about at this point like very little money it costs to get him. A flyer can't hurt. Colin Sexton, we'd be quick about. I did an entire podcast on Colin Sexton. Go check it out on YouTube or in your podcast feed. Uh, just he can hit catch and shoot threes. Do you want him to up the volume there? Sure. Do you want him to be a better on ball defender? Sure. Uh, if you don't need him to be your point guard though and like run the offense uh, and outside of the second unit, at least there's a place for him. I think he would still be a good fit on the Pacers. I'd like to see him and Halliburton play together. And they also have cap space. The magic, if they could strike a sign and trade with Cleveland, that's something that still works there for me. And then I think that the fit is still there in Cleveland, even though they have Ricky Rubio and Karis Levert. Uh, I trust probably Levert more as an on-ball passer. And like the shots he'll take as a self-creator might look a lot better. I Colin Sexton to me is the more useful and malleable player overall at this point Levert is bigger maybe that's going to make a difference to a lot of people as well so cleveland indiana orlando for for colin sexton and just it's the same theory with orlando that it was with dennis Schroeder. only you're getting better off ball shooting here and so you could play sexton and faults together like when Suggs is off the court or if you're going super small which i don't know why the magic would would ever do and then your second unit i don't know why no you're not going to want to play cole anthony and colin sexton at this the same time but he can give you a, a lot of you know, second unit creativity or just having the always as that second or third on-ball outlet, whether he's playing with Suggs or Bancaro or Markel Fultz or just some combination of the three. Uh, that's something you could look at. So I like that. And if you can trust him to fire off um, threes off the catcher, make quicker decisions with the ball, which I think last year he kind of started to. I know that was if he only played in 11 games before his tearing his meniscus. I, I actually like the fit with Orlando. I definitely love it more than the, the Schroeder fit. This is, I don't want to say he's my highest upside free agent on this list. That's clearly like Colin Sexton's here. And if you want to make the case for like, you know, really, if you want to make the, like you maybe after him is like, I guess you could go Schroeder. You go with anyone really, but this is my favorite free agent on the list. And I think I have the most teams listed for him. Uh, Utah Watanabe. He has been, I watched um, some FIBA highlights He's been, looks like he's been tearing it. He, he tore it up there. Uh, I like him. We saw his three point shot dip last year and he fell out of Toronto's rotation. He still shot 35.5% on catch and shoot threes. He's always been sort of like an unreliable finisher, but he makes really good decisions when he's moving with the ball, whether it's like dump offs or, 
or kickouts or forcing defenses to get in to rotation than just making the right pass from there or finding the guy who's going to make the next pass that leads to a bucket. He can be moved around a lot defensively. I like his help activity around the basket. It doesn't feel like he's only like when I watch him play uh, with Toronto, this is not something I'm taking away from FIBA. I always feel like he plays a lot bigger than six, nine. And so why not take a flyer on him if you're a rebuilding team, or if you just need to plug some just like back of the rotation wing minutes, someone who is plug and play at both ends. I just don't understand why there hasn't been more interest in him. He's 27 going to turn 28 in October. Maybe that has something to do with it. He's not like super athletic, but he has these strides that'll get him up and down the floor. And he kind of knows how to use space to his advantage on defense. Uh, I have him for every team, but like, I would love to see him in, in Sacramento um, because I do think he skews more like true wing than a Keegan Murray or Harrison Barnes at this point. He probably still falls too, too close to the, well, I'd like to see him defend like fours or be a combo forward, but like he can guard threes and like switch a bunch. Uh, Cleveland, I think he would be really good there. Chicago needs some more like bigger wing depth. Milwaukee, could we at least try him out as like the, the four? In those units with Giannis, when Portis and Lopez are on the bench, I'd rather see uh, Utah Watanabe than and Giannis than Ibaka and Giannis at this point. I'm just going to be flat out there. Utah, like they just need wings. Where are all the wings, Utah? I don't like. Are we including like we have to call Malik Beasley a wing at this point? That is what Utah has has done to us. Is we have to call Malik Beasley a wing even though he is not. They have who is the wing on Utah after they trade away Royce O'Neal? Is it Malik Beasley? Do you think Bojan Bogdanovic is not a wing? He's more of a combo forward. Uh, is it Nikhil Alexander Walker? Like, is he the closest thing you have to a wing? It's between him or Malik Beasley at this point. Where are all the wings, Utah? I don't care. At least twenty-eight. You have minutes to spare. Bring them in. Let's see what happens. Uh, Washington. I just think that they need more good players on the team. That doesn't have to say that they're bad, but like they have Kuzma, they have um, Rui Hachimura, they have Denny Avdia. I think it feels like they need someone who's a little bit more plug and play def- like on like on both ends of the floor where Will Barton is he still play- he brings a lot of creativity on offense but he could be you call him plug and play there. Uh Kuzma, he's plug and play at both ends. That's fair for Kuzma. I think Denny Avia can be plug and play at both ends. We just haven't seen it. Uh there is he needs to be more aggressive on offense, but I think he also needs to be uh, empowered on offense as well. Rui Hachimura is just like too iffy uh, on both ends. For me, it's like, let's just throw Utah Watanabe there, um, get some solid defensive bodies. And then if he can hit catches two threes, he's fine. Portland as well. Like they're, they have a lot of talented perimeter players on their team. They're still like small because like you have Simons, Damian Lord and GP two, And those are all guards. And then you have Josh Hart is a wing, but he's not super big. You have Jeremy Grant, of course, not little, um, but let's throw Utah Watanabe 6'9 in there. So I think he can play the three, the four. If you really wanted to downsize him and Grant in the front court for certain lineups, uh, you could try that. So I, I would love to see him in Portland. I fave that. Uh, Indiana, again, just a team that actually does need wing bodies. They probably want someone who counts as more of a, a truer wing. But like, let's just go with the plug-and-play guy. Uh, he can make sweet, sweet music in any lineup that includes Tyrese Halliburton and if Miles Turner is still there. I'm just saying. And so, like, he's more of a wing than Buddy Heald, who's probably your starting three at the moment, unless it's, you know, is it however you're structuring it. Like, he's more of a three than Benedict Matherin or Buddy Heald, certainly more so than uh, Chris Duarte as well. So, uh, like, I would like him there. Uh, other teams I've listed, the Golden State Warriors, if Iguodala doesn't come back, why not? Someone who's just 
higher end Juan Toscano Anderson, not as probably not as JTA is definitely more explosive, but just like to play that role, maybe he's not playing all the time, but he's going to make you think smart decisions with the ball. And if you can get him to subsist on enough offensive volume, because I do think he's not aggressive enough either. Uh, why not? And then I also have Charlotte. They need wings too. Uh, Kelly, they have Kelly Herbert Jr. They have Gordon Hayward. They have Cody Martin. Um, that's like, are any of those players I just named, would you consider them a, you know, a truer wing than uh, Watanabe? I guess you could go with like Gordon Hayward and even Kelly Herbert Jr. And you could say all three of them, but just like they have Gordon Hayward, Kelly Herbert Jr., Cody Martin, and then it sort of falls off a cliff there. James Book Knight, Bryce McGowan are not wings. PJ, PJ Washington, if Miles Bridges comes back, is, is not a wing. So just a solid guy who I think helps you on defense and then doesn't muck up or monopolize anything on offense. Uh, the Nets, I have him listed here too. Just get me solid guys who profile as fringe wings on this team. They do have Kessler Edwards and TJ Warren, Joe Harris, Ben Simmons now. I don't consider Ben Simmons a wing. Uh, I would consider him more of a big. Kevin Durant's still there for the time being. But that would just be sort of fun to add him to a rotation that has Royce O'Neal, where all of a sudden you went from a team that just doesn't have these wingish types to oh, we have Harris and Warren and Kessler Edwards and Royce O'Neal, not to mention Durant, and then you don't want the Nobby. Just feels like it gives you a lot of different lineup optionality. Uh, I think, honestly, though, you could tell me any team. Like, if I like, do I think that the Nuggets, instead of like paying Vlatko Kanchar, should have taken a look at you don't want the Nobby? I absolutely would say something like that. So you could put him on any team. Uh, Detroit, as well, if, they, if they're willing to hammer out the minutes for him, is he too old for that? They signed Kevin Knox. You bring back Hamadou Diallo. They have Sadiq Bey. Uh, Alec Burks, by the way, is still on this roster right now. Isaiah Livers looked really good. So if they are willing to actually play him, um, and I think he would be like a nice alternative because I don't trust Marvin Bagley plus any of the bigs, like whether it's Stewart, Noel, if he's still on this roster, or Duran. I don't want to see that. Uh, maybe Bagley and Olenek together, but that would be a defensive nightmare. Watanabe is sort of that four spot would be really fun where Kelly Olenek is at the five or any Isaiah Stewart, Noel, or Jalen Duran is at the five. So I had them to, I did not have Houston listed, but I guess they could go that route. I just want to make sure that KJ Martin and Usman Gruba play in a front court rotation. That also includes Jabari Smith Jr. And Alperin Shangun at this point. Can't give them to, did I mention the Lakers, by the way? He should be on the Lakers would work, but they have Juan Toscano Anderson already. Doesn't need to be on the Clippers. They already have all the wings. And then Memphis is the final team that I have listed for him, I believe. And you could, again, throw him on any team. I'll be happy. Um, someone who could fill in for some of those four minutes. And that's actually not someone like a mellow who I suggested, or even a Blake Griffin won't compromise your defense. Our final free agent, the one and only Hassan Whiteside. Uh, Utah could still make sense for him since they have uh, Walker Kessler and Vando. And that's it really. If you're looking at like, I mean, do you still believe in uh, Udoka Azabuki? Maybe. So if you still believe in him, that's fine. But like, they don't have like anything about their center rotation really pinned down in stone right now is it Rudy gay. That could be what like, so like I just named all the technically bigs on their roster and Vando gay as and Walker Kessler. Uh, I, I would love like, I'm not love. I think white side, if you're just looking to, depending on what happens with the Donovan Mitchell trade, you're not looking to win, but if you want like a, uh, another lob threat for Donovan Mitchell, if you trust him to develop that chemistry or just to sort of fill minutes, like eat like an innings eater, as they would call him baseball. Um, I could see, even though I have at the time I bring him back and he was just like, he was fine last year. 1.39 points per possession out of the pick and roll. 1.35 points in transition. Uh, he also, opponent shot just 53.1% against him at the rim. So he's playing a lot of second unit minutes there. Uh, that was still an incredible, that was the eighth best mark in the league among everyone who contested at least 
250 shots at the basket. And so like that's legit company to be in. He still provides you. I think if it's coming down to, and I was having conversation with someone I worked with before I recorded this podcast or, or currently work with, I should say, um, if it came down to Hassan Whiteside or Dwight Howard right now, I think I'm going with Hassan Whiteside pretty comfortably. That's what I'm reticent to say, like pretty comfortably is, is really where we're at here at this point. So um, I'm like, I think it would be him. And so if you're the same teams we, we named for Dwight Howard, the Hassan Whiteside train would still be on them. And by the way, the players that are in front of him. So here's every player who contested at least 250 shots at the rim and allowed a better uh, or a, a stingier opponent shooting percentage at the basket than Whiteside. Giannis, Isaiah Stewart, shout out Beast Stu, JaVale McGee, starting center for the Mavericks for some reason, Jared Allen, Rudy Gobert, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Isaiah Hartenstein. What a signing by the Knicks. I'm being dead serious. So like eighth, you rank eighth in that. That's a really good spot to be. The teams I have listed for him aside from Utah, I really could only come up with a four. I wanted to come up with more because I thought he was so useful. And that's also sort of like maybe a, a harbinger of how I feel about his fit relative to Howard's the Clippers for sure. Uh, I don't know if he's someone whereas Howard, I think is okay. If he just doesn't play, I don't know that white is going to feel the same way. And there's a chance knowing if they want to play Rocco slash Marcus Morris type front courts or just go without a big, uh, and then you have Zubats to really just cannibalize like 25 to 30 plus minutes a game. I'm not sure how, uh, he would fit into that type of ecosystem. The blazers for sure. I think, uh, we've, I guess there's the been there, done that aspect, but there's still sort of a need if you want like the the lob, the proven lob catcher, veteran lob catcher element, uh, rim runner and rebounder. So that could work for them. And he also just like, you're, he's going to give you rim protection as well. And then also Boston, they play dual big. So if you're going to be interested in Howard, why not take a look at Whiteside? I don't think him or Howard are as dynamic on offense as Boston seems to skew with their bigs. Like Robert Williams, the third, in addition to being able just like to fly above the rim and rim run, and then also a lot more switchable on defense. Uh, like he can make really good passes and you don't trust us on white side to ever put the ball on the floor, make one intrudible two dribble decisions. You're not going to want to see that from Dwight Howard. Now still we're talking about who would be their fourth big at best with Grant Williams, RW three and Horford already in front of them. Something to consider. And the final one I have is just Brooklyn. Uh, they have Nicholas Claxton and Dayron Sharp. That's kind of it for them on like the centers that you envision playing a bunch of minutes next year. Um, so maybe they're anticipating going really small with Ben Simmons and Kevin Durant in their front court if they don't move Kevin Durant. Um, still, Hassan Whiteside, I think you can make the case that Dwight Howard might work there then as well too. But I think Hassan, my favorite fit for Hassan Whiteside, is it Portland? Is that weird? I'm just going to say it's probably Brooklyn for me. I'm just going to say it's Brooklyn because I don't want to I feel like icky saying it should be Portland. That does it for me. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If it was the first time you're listening or checking this out, please consider throwing us that permanent subscription. Hit subscribe on YouTube. It really does help us out a lot in addition to subscribing to the podcast. Again, all the socials and our Discord channel. Join it. Have fun with us. Call me out for mistakes uh, in our Discord channel. The link is in the podcast and YouTube description. Until next time, and as always, I leave with a shout out to one, the only, he didn't get the free agency this summer because he was so valued by the Mavericks, Frank Nielakina. <laughs>